you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be continuing on this morning from verse 13. And I will say it has been uh, weighing heavy on my heart to try to bring a bit more in with regards to what we're doing in the Gospel of Matthew, as we're already in the Gospel of Luke in midweek. So what I want to do is I want to start Romans as well as we continue through Matthew. So next week we're going to alternate, we're going to start Romans and we're going to bring the Gospel of Matthew in one week and Romans on the next week and back to the Gospel of Matthew and back to Romans. And hopefully you'll be able to track with me as we start to see the doctrine that is built by the Apostle Paul in Romans is all based upon what we're studying as we progress and move our way through the Gospel of Matthew. So it's a good way for us to be able to couple the two to force us to be able to study God's word more diligently and to ultimately be able to move our way through two books simultaneously. Although different, both of them are going to hopefully enlighten us as we progress. But this morning we're finishing off where we were in chapter 2 as I said in verse 13. I'll read together through it. This is God's word, verse 13. Now when they had departed... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until, you, uh, remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I call my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ram, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because... They are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in the city called Nazareth, so that, was, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called Nazarene. Quite a lot there this morning, but it is, uh, I think, doable for us to be able to work our way through it. I just want to start where we uh, ended up last week when we read of, uh, about the coming of the wise men and we then go to verse 13 and says now when they had departed behold an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt now for those of us who understand the significance of it whenever we look at Christ we can spend a lot of time seeing how Christ comes as the new Adam Christ is the true Israel that is going to be taken out of the exodus out of Egypt But what we see here is Egypt now being a haven, now being the place where Christ is going to be brought by his parents. It says he's remained there until Herod uh, until Herod dies, for he is about to search and destroy him, being Christ. 
We read in verse 14, And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I call my son. And he's quoting there Hosea chapter 11. I think it's important for us to go there and to see exactly what is being said to us whenever he gives us that prophecy. So turn with me if you would to Hosea chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. Now before we read it, if you're not familiar with who Hosea is, Hosea is a prophet used by God and it is to bring judgment upon Israel through Hosea. But Hosea is very much famous for God depicting what he suffers and what he endures through Israel. And what he does is he gets Hosea to go and take for himself a wife. And that wife that he is to take is a harlot, is a prostitute. And he's to take her as his own and he is to raise up children by her. And as the story progresses, we, we see this, this wife who is called Gomer ends up that she then leaves Hosea. She has children to other men and she goes right back into what she was, which is a prostitute. And what we read here in verse 11 is, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, when we're reading this here in the context of the Old Testament, we immediately assume that God is speaking of his people who is Israel, ethnic Israel, the people who were actually born of the seeds of Abraham. But for those of us who understand the New Testament and understand Christ, whenever that prophecy was made to Abraham, talking about offspring, it was singular, talking about Christ. And how it is through Christ that there will be those who will be numerable as the stars and as the sand on the seashore. It is those of us who have come through Christ who are truly the offspring of Abraham. He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burning offerings to idols. So he starts off there and he says what is actually true of Israel. How God called Israel out of the land of Egypt while they were still a small people. While they were still a child so so to speak. And whenever they were called out of Egypt rather than turning to God. Turning to Yahweh and worshipping him as they should. The more God called them. The more prophets that God sent them. The more miracles that God did for them. The more they rejected God. The more that they continued to turn to their own wants their own desires, and followed after false gods. And what he's saying here through Christ is, is that this is the true son. Christ, who's now going to go to Egypt to flee from fear of death from King Herod, is his true son. Israel is going to come from this true son through Christ, who is us today. We are the true Israel. We are the true offspring of Abraham. And Christ is God's true son. God's true people are the church today. But to understand all of this here in its context, as I said, we have to understand Hosea a little bit better. So turn with me, if you would, to chapter 1 of Hosea. And this is God telling Hosea what he is to do. Chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go and take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dephlam, and she conceived and bore him a son. 
And it goes on to name their children. For one is called No Mercy and, and gives the children these names of what the people actually are. Depicting here how God has married Israel. God has married his bride. And how the church today is God's bride. And yet there is the church today that is turning just like Gomer back to the way that they used to be. And this is the story of mankind from the beginning of the fall all the way up to today. We cannot serve God in our own strength. We will constantly go back to our ways. We will constantly break the promises that we make. We cannot achieve what we desire to achieve for God because we do not have the strength, nor the power, nor the ability within ourselves. And just as Hosea's heart is broken here over his wife, whom he has taken for himself as she turns to go back to her old ways, so too is God's heart burdened, broken, how his love for his people and his people reject him. How his people turn from him. How his people do not want his statutes nor his ways. And they desire to do their own things. And they run after other gods. The same way as a harlot runs after other men. And this is why he says this to Hosea. Even if we read very quickly in chapter 3 verse 1. It says, And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman whom is loved by another man. And is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, so I bought her for 15 shackles of silver and a homer and a lech of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to other men. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or prince without sacrifice or pillar, without effort or household of gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall reign and seek the Lord their God. And David their king shall come to fear, David their, David their king, and they shall come to fear to the Lord and his goodness in latter days. So this is a prophecy made by Hosea in the midst of him going to take his wife back. His wife who belongs to him. His wife whom he married. His wife, whom is his, goes back and he finds her sitting on the block, on the cell block. And he has to buy her back. He has to buy back what belongs to him. And this is all foreshadowing of what God does for us. It is God whom we belong to. Whom we should rightfully be his bride and yet we cannot. For we run back into our own whoredom, so to speak. We run back into our own desires, our own wants, and our own things that we love in the dark places. And we reject God, who is our King, Father, also Husband, speaking of the Bride of Christ. So what does God do? The same thing that Hosea has to do. He has to buy her back. Just as Christ bought us back. The price that had to be paid was Christ's life. The price that had to be paid here was Hosea having to buy her back for 15 pieces of silver and barley and whatever. And it's depicting here how what is rightfully God's turns from him and how he has to then go and purchase back his bride. And says to her, you are to dwell and you are to belong to me. And the promise rings true here for what we just read. His son whom he calls out of Egypt is his true son. The king that is going to come as depicted as King David is King Jesus. And those who are his bride, we shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in latter days. 
It's all depicting the coming of Christ. It's all to fulfill what Matthew is trying to say here, which is Christ is the true King, true Messiah, and we who are his people must realize that we will constantly want to wander. So as I spoke of this morning, unless we're constantly coming underneath the chastening of the Holy Spirit, constantly coming underneath prayerful duty, reading God's word, it is easy for me and for you and for every person on the face of this earth to wander back into whoredom, to turn our back on God, to turn away from his statutes, to turn away from his law, to turn away from his loving grace, to start to actually believe that we and ourselves are righteous. To start to believe that we're okay. To start to believe, yes, it's by faith alone and that's it. To start to reject what God commands of his church. We see it, do we not? In churches globally. Embracing what is completely opposite to God's truth and God's word. All for the sake of what they call love. Turning their back on God who is their husband. King and master, and going back into what they crave and what they desire. Back to Matthew, as we were reading on. This is fulfilled what the Lord has spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. This is clear. Christ is the true son. Christ is the son that will not reject the Father's commandments. Christ is the son that will fulfill all things that God demands. Christ is the payment. Christ is the price to buy us back who have given ourselves over to the things of the devil. He then reads in verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And here is the truth of our hearts. We all like to place ourselves sometimes in the narrative of Scripture. We like to think of good guys and bad guys. We like to think of those who are the demonic and those who are holy. Think of anyone you want to think of. David and Goliath is a perfect illustration that we teach to our Sunday school kids. Goliath, the evil, blasphemous, giant. David, the good, humble servant. And for many of us, we like to think that we are like David, that we are like Moses, that we are like Joshua, that we are like those who are of the disciples. But who are we in this narrative? The truth is we're Herod. Christ comes. The thing that Matthew doesn't say here, he says it so to speak through the back door, is that Herod was convinced that Christ was the true Messiah, Son of God, sent to ransom the people. That Christ was the Redeemer. That Christ was the rightful King. Because if he didn't believe it, he wouldn't have tried to kill him. Christ was a threat to his throne. Christ was a threat to his reign. Christ was a threat to him having complete and utter providence and sovereignty over his own life. And that's what every single person in this world who is not a Christian are. Herod. That's why they killed the prophets when they came. That's whenever Christ came into Jerusalem, he wept and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills and stones the prophets. The city that turns their back on Yahweh. The city that knew the truth and turned from it. This is what each and every one of us have to continually fight against. This is the flesh. Herod is the flesh. 
Every time you read God's word and it tells you and instructs you that this is how you're meant to live, we are either going to be like Herod and we're going to turn and try to kill it. And we can kill it through many different means. We seek out those who will tell us that it is right or wrong and they will twist the scriptures for us and we will embrace it and we will eat it and we will say, no, 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 that's not what it means. And we kill God's truth. That's what we do when people come to us with truth. Friends, neighbours, brothers, sisters, elders. It's that phone call. Oh no. It's a threat. He's going to tell me something. She's going to tell me something. It's going to wreck my world. And I will be able to have kingship over it. It's the Herod that is in each and every one of us. Being depicted here by Matthew. Kill the king. Kill his reign. Kill his law. Kill his commandment. That I may reign. And I may be called king. He's furious. Why is he furious? He's furious because through this trick that the wise men have played, Herod didn't get to go and quietly kill Jesus as he lay in the manger and slaughter his parents and maybe if that is his desire. He's now furious and the Greek furious there is he's completely out of control. He's not mad and burning within him. He's completely lost it. It's true. They didn't come back. He's the king. He's Christ. He's the Messiah. He's God incarnate. He has come and he's going to take my throne. That's what the world does to Christianity today. That's what the world does to Christians today. They kill the truth. Politicians do it. Teachers do it. Everyone does it. Kill the truth. We live in a day and age where this past century there has been more Christians killed than any other century combined. Even during the times of Nero whenever they were fed to lions and Christians were used as lanterns to light up the city of Rome. Christians are being slaughtered worldwide because they speak truth. How do you know if you are like Herod or if you are like truly like Christ? Are people trying to kill you? Not physically. How do your friends embrace you in social circles? Do they embrace you as somebody who loves them that much that you will tell them truth? How do your parents embrace you if they don't believe how your siblings embrace you if, you if they don't believe. How do your colleagues embrace you if you don't believe? Did he say what was said to me this week? According to you, no one's going. That's right, because the way is narrow, difficult, and hard to find. Kill that truth. The way is broad, all encompassing. Everyone is going. People in tribal villages don't have to hear the gospel. They're going. They may be worshipping Buddha, but they really think it's Jesus. They're going. My little boy and my little girl, they said a prayer. They're going, even though their life looks nothing like that of Christ. It's okay because, after all, we don't need to get married. It's okay. We can get divorced. I spoke to a brother this week who's in complete another turmoil as his daughter at 32 is back at home Christian married to a Christian going to what would be seen to be a very godly church 
And their pastor said it's okay to the husband for him to divorce her. Yet she has done nothing that merits a divorce biblically. We should push the truth down. Get rid of who we don't want in times of hardship. Annul our commitments to God in marriage. Why? So we can be heard. We can have who we want. And we can do what we desire. Herod wants to kill Christ. Herod wants to destroy Christ. And every person today who is not a Christian demands and wants the same thing. Please don't tell me you're one of those narrow-minded people who believe Christ was real and that heaven is real and hell is real. Yes. Hell is real. We can say it today. Those who you love that do not know Christ or those who you love that think they know Christ are going to go there. Kill the truth. Live as king. Therefore nothing can take you off your throne. It goes on verse 17. Then was fulfilled, was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard and Raham weeping and loud lamentations. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. It speaks of here, if you had time to go back to Jeremiah 31. It's talking about Babylon. It's talking about Israel in the midst of their height, in the midst of King David, have fallen from grace. The Babylonian army have come in as a rod of God's God's, uh, anger and have struck down Israel. They now gather the remnant of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and they bring them all to Raham. And there it says, Rachel is weeping. Who's Rachel? Rachel is the mother, so to speak, of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Judea, being in the south, is the tribe of Benjamin. To the north was Israel, who is of Ephraim, who is Joseph's son. She weeps because collectively all of her children are being cast out, being thrown out into the exodus. But yet if we had time to go back and see, God says, but weep no more. For I will bring them back. I will be their God. And I will be my people. And I will send one whom is Christ. Who will change their hearts and change their inclinations. And make them follow after my statutes. There's hope in the midst of this crying. There's hope in the midst of this pain. And there's hope for those in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. Whenever their kids are being slaughtered. And mothers and fathers are having their children ripped out of their arms. And the soldiers are piercing their hearts and killing these children. And there's weeping and there's mourning. What's happening? What's happening is there's hope. In the midst of this pain, in the midst of this hurt, Christ has been born. The saviour of all mankind. And those whom they are losing are going to be in the arms of God. And those who have put their faith in Christ will be with them. Verse 19, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. We don't have time to go through it all here, but what happens is, is he then leaves, and he goes to, back into Israel, and he sees that Herod is no longer there, but his son has taken the throne, and in fear, he then turns and goes back to Galilee. 
And we read in verse 23, And when he went and lived in the city called Nazareth, so that was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. There is no prophecy that that fulfills. If you look in your Bible, there's no mark pointing you down to the bottom of the page to tell you if it was Jeremiah, Hosea, whoever. What it is here is a collective prophecy that Matthew's trying to show. How do you know that he's the king? Because everyone who is in power, from the high priests to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the kings of the people who are going to have their rule challenged, are all going to despise and hate him. If you have time, you can jot it down. You can turn to John 1 uh, verse 46. Whenever it says, what good can come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was known to be a place of lowliness. A place where nothing good that there was in it. Even in Psalm 22, we'll turn there really quickly. Psalm 22 verse 6 through 7. Psalm 22, speaking of the coming of Christ, and it says, verse 6, But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They wag their mouths at me and wag their heads. Speaking of Christ on the cross, they looked up and said, You who would raise the temple, save yourself. You who is a so-called king, prove it, come down off the cross. And they wagged their heads at him and they renounced him and they crucified him and they did not want him. That is why even to this day, if you go to a Muslim nation, remember we learned about the letter N, the nun, it means Nazarene, it's what they call Christians. That's why if, the, if ISIS came to your home, they would put the letter N in your home to say, you are a Nazarene, you are of Christ. That's why Christ is called Jesus of Nazareth. It's the prophecy here by saying that he would be in Nazareth was to prove that he would be despised and rejected by his people. And if Christ was despised and Christ was rejected by his people, then we who are his people will be despised and rejected by those who are in darkness. If we are true. Next week when we go through Romans... Probably not get through it next week, but when you work our way through Romans 1, Paul says that I am not ashamed of the gospel. For the gospel alone has the power on the salvation. Our goal as Christians is to give the gospel. Our goal as Christians is to live out the gospel. Our goal as Christians is not to be Herod. Finishing there. We could do more as enough time. What does it mean for us who are Christians? It means... That Christ was despised. That at every opportunity they tried to kill him. They tried to even throw him off a cliff face in his own hometown when he came back. They constantly looked at him and did not want him. They did not desire him. They shouted out whenever Barabbas, a murderer and a thief, was put up by Pilate. Who do you want? They shouted, Barabbas. We do not want him. We do not love him. We do not desire him. We don't want his rule or his kingship or his Davidic line. We want the line of the demonic. Our say, our rule. And yet, whenever it says that Christ who came out of Egypt was 
setting us free from the sin and the captivity of Egypt. We're still in it if we're not Christians. The people who walk around the mile this morning, those who in our families who you know, who think they're free are not. They are completely lost. They are helpless. They are in darkness and they're in sin. There are those who we know who are religious. They're lost. They're in darkness and they're in sin. If you bring God's word, not your opinion, but his word, and you lay it forth as the testimony and say, this is what he decrees, this is what he says, this is what he demands, and they reject it, it's because their heart is still like Herod. We have to pray for them. But first we pray for ourselves. If our heart is still inclined to be like it was in the flesh, our heart is still inclined to desire what we want and what we desire, it means we have not been finished yet. We're saved, yes, but are we being made righteous? Are we being made holy? Or worse than that, do we think we're saved and we're not? Do we desire Christ to be king of our lives? Do we desire to be slaves, dolos, to his ways? Or do we want to kill him? That's why people leave churches a lot of the time. Biblical ones. I don't like what the pastor says. I don't like how he judges me. Rather than saying, is it true? Because he will have to stand and give an account for what he says. Is it true? Just because the pastor says it, is it true? Can I divorce my wife if she has done nothing wrong? Is it true? Because if it's not and I marry another, I I commit adultery for the rest of my days and the rest of my life. And the Bible says the adulteress, the continual adulteress, will not ever inherit the kingdom of heaven. Is my gossip being checked? Is my lies being checked? Do I have brothers and sisters around me who desire to be holy and set apart? Or am I gathering together people who continue to tickle my ears and tell me that I'm okay when I'm not? There is more for us. There is deeper grace. There is deeper mercies. There is a better way to walk. There is more joy waiting for us. But we have to do the work. And that work is prayer. That's it. The striving comes by the Holy Spirit. The work that we are called to do is to be continually laboring in prayer. Father, take it from me. Strip it out of my life. Why is it that I don't desire to meet with the church? Why is it that I don't desire to know more about your word? Why is it that I don't desire to be more set apart and holy? Why is it that I still crave the things I crave? And he will say to you, Son, daughter, I'll change you. And by his grace and his mercy, he will continue to help you to grow. And we will move out of the spiritual nurseries and drinking spiritual milk and we will start eating meat with his word. And we will be a people and a church that is true, that brings him glory and acclimate and praise. And we may sit by his grace next year, not by our will or our strength, but by his working in our lives. And others who do not know him will come. And they will hear the truth. And they will have the peace that we have. And if we stop being Herod and killing the truth. And give our crowns over and say, You're king now. You're Lord your Savior, your Messiah. Amen? Let's close in prayer.
Father, we thank you, Lord, this morning that in the midst of this truth that we can weigh ourselves, Father, to see how much of Herod still belongs and dwells within us and therefore see your love and your mercy in a deeper way. Thank you, Father, that by your grace you are sustaining us, but there's more for us, Father. There's crowns of righteousness, there is treasures in heaven. There's all there for us, Father, if we would but give ourselves more to you. Time is short, Lord, we know it, for we have been reminded of it this week at how uh, family can be about to celebrate the birth of their seventh child and yet so quickly be devastated and a mother a sister, a daughter and a wife can be lost within a week Father we do not know who amongst us will be here next week Father but we know one thing to be true that every person on this earth will stand before your throne and give an account. I pray, Father, for a genuine fear in my heart continually as I will stand and have to face a double measure of judgment. I pray the same be true of the elders in this church, Lord. And I pray, Father, most of all, that we will see that it's not by our working. We don't have to make ourselves righteous, Father God. You do the work for us, but Lord... Help us to desire it. Help us to turn aside from our own wants and desires. Help us to set down our phones, our devices. Help us to turn the TV off. Help us to come out from the darkness fully, Father. And expose ourselves to the light of your word. Father, what we see may be ugly. But what you see is a son and a daughter whom you love. Thank you, Father, that you loved us that much while we were still in complete and utter sin. You died for us, and that love still abounds. You still receive us. You still go out after us, even though we have ran off, Father God, like Gomer did. And you continually buy us back. Help us, Lord, to be repentant. Help us, Father God, to change. Help us, Lord, to embrace your way, for your way is higher than ours. Help us, Father, to find the joy that we can know. No matter what our sin is, if we repent and turn, we are forgiven. We are made new. We are holy in your eyes. Help us this year, God. Help us this day. And by your grace, Lord, if we come back tomorrow evening for prayer, Father, help us to come into this place and boldly pray aloud. Help us to set aside fear, Father. Help us to come here on a Wednesday night, no matter what there is, Lord, for we need your word. We crave your word, Father, and we desire to know it more. And help us, God, by your grace to come back here next Sunday morning and collectively come before your table and remember it's by the blood that was shed. It's by the body that was given that we all, Father, can know you. Help us, Lord, this week as we preach the gospel to others. Help us first to preach it to ourselves. Let us not be shy and meek, but let us be as bold as lions, knowing that we are completely in your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand, we'll close and worship.